Welcome to Ad Exchanger Talks, the podcast devoted to examining the issues and trends in advertising and marketing technology that matter most to you. This episode is brought to you by Adictive. Adictive is the most advanced app retargeting and cross-promotion platform. As a leading demand-side platform, Adictive helps performance-driven app marketers take their apps to the next level. Visit www.adictive for more info. That's www.adictive.com. In today's episode, I chat with Lara Balash, the Chief Marketing Officer of Intuit, who let drop that the financial technology brand has 100 million customers on its platform. No wonder Intuit built its own CDP, or Customer Data Platform, to store all that data and figure out how to make customers go deeper into its brands and get them to try the sister brands. You may know Intuit as a tax and accounting company, but they have not just TurboTax and QuickBooks, but also new acquisitions since the pandemic in 2020, Credit Karma, and the marketing platform MailChimp. Intuit is unifying these products under the central theme of powering prosperity for everyone from gig workers to small business owners. Intuit is a very data-driven brand, as Lara shares, but it's realized that it needs to go deeper than just performance or brand awareness. One of its biggest signals is brand reputation, and it tracks, by channel, how its marketing influences the brand's overall reputation. And as it turns out, Lara and I grew up in neighboring towns, proof that it's a small world after all. Before we get started, I'll share a brief reminder that Ad Exchanger's Industry Preview Conference is taking place on Tuesday, February 7th. We'll be holding the exclusive one-day conference in New York City for data-driven professionals in the programmatic ecosystem. The lineup includes the CEO of DotDash, the editor-in-chief of The Markup, TikTok experts at El Pollo Loco and Happy V, the Trade Desk, the CMO of David's Bridal, and more. Register today at adexchanger.com. With that, let's get started. I'm Sarah Sluice, Executive Editor of Ad Exchanger and your host, and I have with me here Lara Balash, the EVP, GM of the Strategic Partner Group, and CMO of Intuit. Welcome, Lara. Hey, Sarah. It's so great to be here. So our signature icebreaker question is something that people would have no idea about you from your LinkedIn, where, which by the way, if you were to scan this, it includes time. I think all of the big brand names, you got Amazon, Visa, General Mills, Nike. I think I'm even forgetting one here. So you spend a lot of time at some very big brands. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. And um, yes, this would not be on my LinkedIn profile, but most people don't know that I grew up, I spent my formative years in a rural area in Washington state and had five acres and had a lot of farm animals. I had horses and chickens. My neighbors had 15 goats. I was in 4-H. Uh, I showed horses. So uh, something you wouldn't know about me. Okay, what is the name of the town now? You know, I live in Washington. So oh, I do know yeah, that, I do. Sarah. Yeah. Um, I'm Snohomish. Snohomish? Yes. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, I grew up in Mukilteo. No, you so did we, not. This is amazing. Did. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now you and I are going to have to spend time even outside of this podcast catching up. Yes. We'll, we'll have to talk about it after. Oh, yeah, we played. We played Snohomish High School. They were formidable opponents. Um, well, I went to Snohomish High School, so here yeah. we are, the Pacific <laughs> Northwest, coming, coming together. Yeah, nice, wonderful. Okay, that that is fantastic, Laura. I, I love this connection. <laughs> and, and Snohomish is favorite. definitely more rural. Just so everyone knows, I did not grow up with chickens. I grew up in the suburbs, and Snohomish was like a little bit further away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I will say it's probably gotten even a little more developed since I grew up there. But one thing beautiful about Mukilteo is that it has an amazing ferry launch to go over to Whidbey Island, uh, part of the Puget Sound Islands. It is absolutely wonderful. Somewhere I visit a lot, even when I go back home to visit family. <laughs> yep. Yep, and that's where and that's where I live now, Laura. Woodby Island. Oh, yes. you too. Okay, yes. I'm so jealous. Now we're to- we're totally getting getting off track, but I love it. I love it. Um, yes, it's great to work remotely, and um, and Laura loves Woodby Island. Wonderful. It's fantastic. Um, so so wow, we got a lot of icebreakers, and I feel like it was an icebreaker for me too. Um, so Intuit is a financial technology platform. I think of taxes when I think of Intuit, but it's actually a lot more. I feel like that's a great opening for you as the marketing officer to tell me about all the stuff that Intuit does. <laughs> yeah, it, it, in fact, it is because we truly are a global financial tech platform that allows so many different types of people and communities to prosper. And that is because we have products like TurboTax, where you can do your taxes, get your highest refund um, from you know, Credit Karma, where you can understand how you stand from a credit score, see how you can get better rates on loans, take advantage of Credit Karma money, to we have small business products and QuickBooks where you can do everything you need to grow your business from looking at the books to paying your employees, and now MailChimp, where you can actually market to your small business customers. And increasingly, we're even taking all this small business work up to the middle market. So we serve a variety of customers and really meeting all of their financial needs. Um, So we truly are a platform company. And so I, th- I th- thought it was interesting to interview you in light of the current economic climate. Where just this morning, I'm seeing even more headlines about layoffs. And, you know, I think they say that there's two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. So people are still going to have to pay their taxes, even if they're losing money. I don't know, but maybe there's fewer small businesses um, that are sprouting up. Um, I'm wondering what kind of insights you've already kind of seen in terms of how the economic climate is affecting your business and how you're thinking about planning for the year ahead. Yeah, well, it is true. Um, No matter what the climate, you do have to do your taxes and we are here to help. And one of the things that we do is that we make sure you're getting your highest refund. And that for most people, most of our customers is the biggest paycheck they get all year. So really we're doubling down on what we already offer to our customers so that they can prosper. You know, our products are very resilient in these times because our customers need them. So when you are in a period where you want to budget more and you want to make sure that you are not spending 
um, more than you have. You know, we have Mint, which is a personal finance app that allows you to see your spending, budget, et cetera, and then pair that with Credit Karma where you're getting, if you need a loan, um, getting the best loan rates. I mean, our whole, um, our whole strategy really stays the same. It's just doubling down on making sure that we meet our customers where they are to provide clearly what the value and benefit that our products are for them, which are incredible during economic uncertain times. We do find that our small business owners are incredibly resilient, even in tough business climate. Like, the, you know, we know that during the pandemic, more small businesses started because they were getting scrappy and they're dreamers and they saw it as an opportunity. And so we really do see a lot of wonderful resilience in our, uh, in our, in our, in our business model. So if everyone has to pay taxes, um, like who is the addressable market? Everyone? Like, how do you think about who your audience is across these different um, products? Um, and I, I also feel like this is a little segue because I saw that you were head of marketing for Amazon Prime, which I feel like is also similar. Where maybe they're just trying to get eventually like every American home, perhaps going to do their taxes through TurboTax or use Mint or use Credit Karma. <laughs> Yeah, you know, look, it's it goes without saying we have a very high total addressable market. Um, once you reach a certain age and spend and and you know um, and income level, you do have to file your taxes. Um, and what's I think a beautiful uh, offering we have is we do allow you to file for free um, if you're um, a simple tax filer. You're going to be able to file for free, and you know that ultimately has our target audience really large. We have over a hundred million customers on our platform um, who really rely on us from a variety of things, whether that is, you know, of course we have the accounting and tax, but then we've moved well beyond that to if you are a small business owner, you can market through MailChimp, not only the email that you know about the campaigns that they do there, but also setting up a store uh, to do e-commerce and all of the front end part of the business. So it is a really, um, it's a large target market. We do segment it, of course, by small business, mid-market, self-employed, uh, as well as you know general consumers who, of course, are very diverse. One thing I'll say about you know the products we offer is in a world where you can do so much as a person today is a gig worker. We see Gen Y and Gen Z doing gig working more than ever. And we now can help them with that. You know, you are making money and you got to include that in your taxes. A lot of younger customers don't realize that or, hey, they started trading because they now are consumer apps that allow them to do that. And they sell and they realize, oh, I got a capital gain. And how do I report that? I didn't even know that was capital gain. So we have altered our products to be able to support these new behaviors that we see our customers doing in the latest few years where they are trading, they are doing gig jobs more than ever. So it's a really interesting time to be serving this broad customer audience and hitting their specific needs. Ooh, interesting. And so you brought up Gen Z, which means that I'm just going to get your quick read on TikTok. Is that a place that you guys are advertising, marketing, um, and tell me about 
what you've been seeing so far. Yeah. You know, we, so first of all, I would just say we do go to where our customers are. Um, Gen Z is an important audience to us. We have a lot we can offer them. And, you know, we tend to experiment a lot when new offerings come out. We tend to be on them um, because that's where our customers are. And in the case of TikTok, our brands are on TikTok. We like to engage in a way that is very um, TikTok versus us pushing our brands, you know, kind of rule number one there. And frankly, across all of our brands, we've seen great results, great engagement. And we've done some fails too. Um, But I can tell you, like, even with Intuit, the, the global platform brand, we recently launched a TikTok challenge uh, using uh, NFL athletes in a football dance and, you know, just getting them engaged with how they can get our, those TikTok consumers can, you know, ultimately do better in terms of financial planning because it's so new to them and kids are not taught this in school anymore. And it was incredible. The reach that we got, you know, over 4 billion in reach, um, incredible engagement. So we know even in unexpected channels where you think maybe a, a one of our brands might not resonate, it, it can if you activate in the right way. Got it. Yeah. TikTok dances with football players sounds like... <laughs> Dead <really> on. on. <laughs> <laughs> touchdown. Um, it was yeah. like a touchdown financial dance, by the way. So you just <laughs> the hashtag on that. Perfect. Um, so you mentioned having 100 million customers um, advertising on TikTok. Um, one big theme of our coverage over the past year has been signal loss, challenges with measurement, brands having to kind of do do old school measurement and combine that with new things and change their investments um, because of what they're seeing. So I'm wondering, what what is your measurement structure at Intuit and what's What's changed um, due to these, um, due to signal loss? Yeah, you know, first of all, I want to say I'm so proud of our teams. Um, We are incredibly data-driven. We do a ton of measurement. And one of the things that we have um, with this, you know, we're humbled to have 100 million plus customers on our platform. And so we have great first-party data that we have, you know, protect, um, you know, we keep the privacy of our customers at the very top of our goals. Uh, But with that, you know, we've kept, we have a myriad of measurement tools. We use the things that you would expect and media mix modeling, multi-touch attribution, um, all the brand equity tracking we do, all the ad tracking, and we take that together to understand, are we driving the outcomes that we've intended? How I would say, we've evolved, you know, the thing I would point to is we've kept those in place and leaned into them even more, you know, as the marketplace changes, as you you noted, and you lose some of the signals. Um, But when you have that many customers, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is say, hey, we've got this ecosystem. We have customers that are on one part of the platform you know, they're, they're Credit Karma members, but you know what? They may not be using, they may be a small business owner and they're not using QuickBooks. That is where you have them on the platform and can actually talk to them and, you know, get them to try a product in product without even going off your platform, right? So 
we're really lucky to have a platform, you know, the wonderful effects of a network effect from a platform and be able to make those connections and then measure how is that working? Are we doing a good job talking to customers that could benefit from even in a QuickBooks, you know, having um, payroll added to their QuickBooks main um, offering so that they can pay their pay their employees. So, you know, I would say we measure what we've been measuring. Now we're measuring even more what's happening on the ecosystem itself. The only other thing I would add is in a world where purpose and reputation of companies matters even more, I would argue that what we've added the most in terms of measurement is outside in reputation tracking. Um, how are we being perceived? And for us, that's looking at a body of evidence from what are our Glassdoor employee scores? What are our internal pulse scores where we get our voice of employee, you know, how we're doing as a company and serving their needs and feeding our culture, looking at reputation and trust scores that are issued by, you know, external vendors. That reputation is where I would say we're measuring more and using more external measurement um, to help look at a body of evidence to see our progress. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Um, it feels more specific than just um, brand awareness, like reputation. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we've been able to do is we've actually been able to say for our category and then for who we are as a company into it, what are the levers that drive reputation for us specifically and then we can track over time, hey, what is moving? For example, one of those, as you might imagine, is corporate reputation. How are you perceived and doing good in the world? We do a ton in that space. And us talking about more of that externally and being prideful about it, is that moving the needle on that measure of how we're perceived as a company? Those are the things we can actually track now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to go back to the first party data piece, that it's you're definitely in a way better position than a lot of brands with 100 million customers who are probably having to log in, especially in order to access their their information. Um, it feels like this is almost a, a strategy that happened before Signal Loss. I mean, it was, right? Like just these products, like I've, I've used the Mint and the Credit Karma. I haven't used the small business ones, but you're very broad. Um, you know, widely accessible products in addition to ones that are a little bit more specific and deeper. So you kind of, um, I wonder if more brands might try to find a way to go in that direction. Yeah, look, when you have, um, you know, you've been given um, the trust from your customers and you are careful with the data and you have that data and then you can learn from it. Look, you know, we're an AI-driven expert platform as part of our global financial tech platform approach. We can then take that data and, you know, in a safe, meaningful way, apply AI and machine learning and then see, you know, if you take a QuickBooks customer who maybe just has the main accounting software and you can see, wow, you know, the signal says they have employees and they could use our payroll. You can do, you know, a, a model, an AI-driven mo- model to automated, you know, very without disruption, you know, explain the benefits of being on payroll. 
we've done that and seen great success and that's low touch automated. Um, and that's an example how using your own data and signals and then applying AI and ML can be so powerful. And um, to step back for a minute, what marketing channels do you feel like are a little underhyped um, or maybe a little overhyped or just don't work well for your business? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and this is always the dialogue in, in marketing, uh, in the marketing industry, marketing community is what's overhyped, what's underhyped, um, you know, and depending how you look at it, some things are overhyped and sometimes, and sometimes the same thing is underhyped, you know, I, again, we are very much a data-driven culture, very, um, very into experimentation. And so in something that we don't know how it's going to turn out, you know, you could argue things like blockchain, cryptocurrency, the metaverse, you know, we want to be testing and learning so that we have our foot in the future. What you don't want to be is watching so long and not participating such that if this channel takes off, you haven't been engaged at all and you're flat footed. You know, if you go back, I've been doing this a long, long time to the extent that when Facebook was originally out there and the reps were selling it and they didn't even really know what they were selling, those of us who started to engage, even though, you know, we weren't sure and we were just testing and experimenting. Wow. We were so glad when it started to get, you know, strong reach, great traction, et cetera, because we had already gotten our foot in the door. Now you can always take your foot back. If something doesn't take hold or you find out it's unsafe or what have you, you know, these are two way doors. Most of the time you can walk in and then walk back out. Very few things are one way doors. But wow, better to have walked through the door, tested and learned, and then if you need to, walk out. So, you know, I would argue we try to look at things that are underhyped, overhyped, but try to engage so that we are ready should and when it becomes something that our customers care about and they are engaged in. That's where they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I when I was doing research for this interview, I was like, "Oh, Mailchimp!" Like, and my first thought is the placement in Serial, the podcast, which yes. was I looked it up eight years ago, and I still have it burned in my brain. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, and that was the, those were podcast early days, right? And now you know, podcasts are much more mainstream, and um, but just you know, and look, they we acquired them um, not that long ago. I you know we have completely said, look, there's so much great about it. One of those things that is so great is how they did that endemic placement before everybody else did and have been known for that. Um, and that's the kind of stuff we keep, we keep leaning into. Great. So we'll take a quick break and stay with us. We'll be back to hear more about what Lara is doing at Intuit. I'm Sarah Sluice, Executive Editor of Ad Exchanger, and I'm here with Kate Lovejoy, Chief Operating Officer of Addictive. Hi, Kate. Hi, Sarah. So, Kate, what are some of the specific retargeting needs for gaming apps? 
With the gaming clients that we work with, there's typically a very small share of users that are driving the vast majority of revenue. So with monetization of that type, often seen in casino or strategy games, investing in your engaged users is, is really critical. Simply acquiring new users isn't enough. You have to do everything you can to keep those core users engaged, maximize their LTV, and prevent them from churning. What are some important audience segments for gaming apps to pay attention to? There are three that we see are particularly important. So one is new installer buckets. So moving your your new installers through the funnel early on. Retargeting is a great way to protect your UA investment. So making sure that folks are getting through the tutorial, are getting a hang hang of the in-game mechanics, and are getting to the point where they're hooked on the game. Uh, Retargeting can be super helpful for that. The second audience I would say would be focusing on first to second converters. So getting an ad in front of those folks who have made one purchase and getting them to make a a second purchase. We found that 97% of revenue comes from repeat purchasers. And so we see this untapped pool of one-time purchasers and want to get as many folks into that repeat bucket as possible. Lastly, you want to upsell your existing payers and keep them engaged. There are many apps and games competing for your users' attention. Aligning your creative calendar and in-game promotions with retargeting efforts gives users a compelling reason to keep returning to your game and prevent them from churning. And what are the best ways to measure results of a retargeting campaign? The best way to measure the results is really to run an incrementality test. This is something that Addictive offers free of charge for all of our clients. The way we do this is with intent to treat methodology. And so we're holding out a portion of your users that will never be exposed to ads and then comparing the behavior of those users who were eligible to see retargeting ads versus those who are not. This allows you to see the true impact of your campaigns in a transparent and verifiable way. Thanks to Addictive, our sponsor for this month, and thank you, Kate. And we're back. Um, Laura, when, besides being a full-time CMO, you're also an advisor for Ridge Capital, um, and you give advice to early-stage companies. What would you tell an early-stage company in terms of what they should do in terms of their marketing, where they're investing, and the year ahead? Yeah, I, so I am lucky to be part of a CMO advisory council for Ridge Capital, and they are an early-stage venture capital fund, uh, great organization. Um, they, they do invest in, in, in founders of primarily software companies, but they tend to be ad tech and martech. And so having a group of CMOs that advise the company is, is really helpful to them. And we do get the benefit of seeing these early, you know, early founders share their ideas. And honestly, the biggest advice I can give is when you are a founder uh, uh, starting a company and you're wanting to meet the needs of the client, in this case, marketers, CMOs, you know, go about, it's what we do at Intuit, fall in love with the customer problem. Don't fall in love with the solution. We're all about finding out what our customers are frustrated with when it comes to their financial lives and then fall in love with those problems 
that's going to help you then work customer back. And what we use is design for delight um, thinking, which is really design thinking to design products and then marketing to address those needs. But if you don't do that, you're going to fall in love with a solution and then you might get a tricky tech, you know, driven without thinking about, wait, I really need to solve the customer issue versus having, you know, a, a buzz and whistle uh, offering that, you know, a marketer just can't use. So that, that's really my advice to founders. And, you know, we've seen that the, the companies that that group has um, funded have done really well following the, that direction. One of their, um, one of their, you know, firms is, is Braze, um, which is a, you know, a great tool um, used by many, many companies, Fortune 50 companies. And so um, that's, a, you know, they started out small and here they are today. Wow. And that, and especially that they're ad tech and MarTech companies. Um, any yes. other thoughts on the ad tech, MarTech space in terms of who you guys use or um, yeah. any other thoughts? You know, I, look, of course, we're very engaged. One of the things that when I started at the company in 2018, I know you do your listening tour and you, um, we do have a broad set of, of, of brands. And I found that we really hadn't invested in go-to-market technology in particular. Um, I think it was newer to the company um, based on um, what they had been focusing on. And uh, so, you know, there was a little bit of diagnosing where we were having gaps and then sharing, look, you have to look at these as long-term investments. Um, they don't pay off right away when you first do the integration of this MarTech um, offering. But man, if you can get them stood up, here are the efficiencies you garner. And here's the ability to connect with your customers, uh, you know, in real time with the right message. That took some selling in. And, but here we are today. And, you know, some of the things we talked about earlier, we could not have done without the technology in place. And, that's taken, you know, time, a lot of partnership with our CTO, who's been terrific on the journey, as well as the entire engineering community. Um, by the way, you're never done. You're always refreshing because, you know, it is a crowded space. New things come out. We tend to experiment and learn and try new things. Um, we do have a variety of different partners we work with in the space because we go for best of breed. And then we'll build things in-house. We have a wonderful engineering community who often will say, you know, it's best for us to build it. And therefore we go that route. Hmm. So in terms of the um, all the acronyms that I could throw off, the MMM, the MCA, the CDP, um, especially when it comes to your first party data, um, which of those acronyms are you, uh, are you into? <laughs> all of them. Um, yeah, I mean, I can say like our CDP, we built that, um, you know, mm -hmm. with CDPs are critical. Um, that is something we did in house. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's, look, you got to have that. Um, you know, most of us who've been on the Smartech journey realize that um, sooner than later, and it's, it's incredibly helpful. So one thing that I stumbled upon as I was doing research as well is just um, the powering prosperity message of Intuit and how you guys are taking on the issue of economic inequality, the fact that there's less generational wealth transfer for Black Americans, um, a lot of really big, important, meaty 
issues. Um, so I'm wondering a little bit about how that might play out in your, not just your messaging, but maybe your media buying decisions. How do you reach those people um, and do so in a, a thoughtful way that is um, also maybe not going to exacerbate any kind of bias? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought up this um, topic because it is near and dear to my heart. It's also why people join our company is we have a, such a strong mission, which is to power prosperity around the world. And we also say we do that for those who need it most, um, those underserved communities. And so, um, you know, in today's world, you want, people want to work for a company that has a real mission that they are so earnest about. And I can tell you, we really walk the talk on this. Our, um, it's interesting. So you have Intuit and then you have our cornerstone brands. They collectively do so much good in the world, you know, whether it's a small business owner who's struggling and wants to make their payroll, their cash flow, to you know, a consumer who wants to get their best refund check from, from um, the tax year. The, the thing we want to do is always be showing how our products allow you to prosper. So when we think about Intuit as a platform, first of all, we're always trying to connect that with the Cornerstone brands because Intuit, we know when our Cornerstone brands, which we call our, pro our product brands, we call them our Cornerstone brands, when people know that it comes from Intuit, that TurboTax is from Intuit, purchase intent rises. And so the more, and, and that goes up even more, the more products they know we have. So if we can connect that and thread that, then people can see, wow, they're offering so much good through their products. And, and by the way, it builds Intuit brand awareness and understanding, which we've seen increases in that as we've done that. And when we go to market with Intuit, we heavily lean to, into sharing the good we do, which is we've got these products, we serve them to customers. We also go into underserved school districts and teach in what we call our Prosperity Hub school district programs, which are 21 Prosperity Hub school districts that are underserved. That means they qualify for lunch programs. They're in low economic household communities. 80% are underrepresented groups, so high uh, concentration of people in color that are not being served. And we go in and we teach them for free how to be better educated on managing their finances and set them up for life, get them more educated on jobs they can go into after they graduate, including we have a customer success program where we have people come into our customer success, get trained and be customer success agents. And so we have so many ways we can train in job readiness, create jobs that we do through our products for free in these underserved school districts. Interestingly, you know, we're going to do a, as part of our sports programming coming up, um, we will share the good we do in those school districts in a 15 second spot in playoffs, you know, and that's how Intuit can elevate and share the good we do to allow people to prosper. Um, we really care deeply about it because we believe, you know, you may, everybody's kind of born equal and the zip code that you're born into shouldn't hold you back. 
Yeah, I think I think that's so interesting, especially because I think, you know, financial companies are in the place where they could easily do the opposite. I mean, you have products that, um, you know, are sh- sharing people's credit scores, right? That's very sensitive information if someone's in financial distress. So, so I'm wondering how that, um, how can you avoid kind of doing anything that's, you know, an, an unintentional bias, or even just how do you how do you create segments around where someone is financially in a way that's positive and not going to be exploitative. Um, and I'll add a little extra note on that too, especially with AI, right, where we're seeing, um, you know, perhaps how AI would determine your best customer could be um, using signals that you might find to be inappropriate um, ones to use, like your best customer might be someone in financial distress, perhaps, or maybe it's ignoring someone that's in financial distress. Right. No, I love that. That's something we, again, we're so rooted in the mission, which includes those who need it most. We also have incredible values, including stronger together, um, which, which means we lift all people up. And I love how you brought up AI. In fact, when we went on our AI journey, we, we created principles um, that are critical, that we abide by, that ensure we are not um, doing anything to inappropriately use data or bias against any group. Um, so that is part of our principles. And, and you know that is a cross-functional group with privacy and with legal and with our AI experts, with myself, you know, we are very earnest about that. And, you know, one of the things I would say too, is just what I am so proud of is like our credit karma uh, product has this um, proprietary technology Lightbox, which actually allows you to better serve those people who are not getting served by traditional banks today. We can actually help banks, you know, market or I should say serve a customer who right now they don't see in their system, but through our technology with Credit Karma and Lightbox, we actually can, you know, show up these these customers who really should be able to get credit and they're just not being served. So um, that's something I'm really proud of that the company has accomplished because we're, we are so, um, we care so much, our employees care so much, you know, they get out of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so you brought up your employees a few times, like with the reputation scores. And I'm wondering, um, you know, as a leader, how do you kind of cultivate a really engaged, um, diverse workforce? And um, and kind of how, how have you done that in general, but maybe especially your time at Intuit? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, if I think back in my 30-year career, this last uh, three years in particular, if I had to say, it's been the year of the, you know, it's been the years of the employee, um, whether it was, hey, <laughs> we all went into a COVID-19 quarantine state, work remotely, and, you know, things like George Floyd happened, and we had a wake-up call to how deeply we care about this and our employees care about this and we need to be involved from a company perspective and make an impact where we can help. Um, and our employees demand that and, and we don't exist with our employees. We actually have four stakeholder groups that we serve through what we call our true north goals. 
Number one is employees because none of this happens without them. Two is our customers. Again, nothing happens without them. Three is our communities, which shows you how important that mission to power prosperity is for those who need it most is. And then four, our shareholders. And it is in that order. With employees, we know too, through all this work that diversity, equity, inclusion matters more than ever. And it makes you better. We know from not only what we've seen internally, but externally through studies that you are better off with people from different points of view, different races, different genders, different sexual orientations, having a seat at the table, having their voice heard. So we work across our ESG groups. We are now, you know, we used to just issue a corporate responsibility report every year. We now have a pullout DEI report to show the outcomes we're, you know, striving for and how we're working to hit them. A great Great stat that I'm so sure, you know excited to tell is we move the needle on um, our tech women, women in tech as a percentage in our company from 28% to 33% of our tech employees are women now. That is huge. That is actually best in class when it comes to industry standards. And we were, you know, even in a McKinsey study because of that, because of the actions we've taken to actively recruit and keep keep women engineers who need to see that there are other women engineers around them. And in fact, our chief technology officer is a woman. So there's no better, you know, see her to be here moment than that. But all of those things have come even more to the forefront in this last period of so much change. It's only, I would predict, going to get even more robust. And you can't, you have to show up authentically. We have tons of ways to go here. Um, I'm really proud, like we've gone in and in the in educating kids, as I've mentioned, we've educated over a million underserved kids, 80% who are underrepresented groups to be better educated, to go off into the world and get great jobs and be financially ready. Those are just a few little things and we need to keep doing it. But that employee base is how we do it. And with harnessing their power is how we take actions to get there. Great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I know it's it's hard and people often have wanted to make progress. And I think sometimes the numbers aren't really matching the intention perhaps at this time. Yeah. So um. I want to transition a little bit just to tax time, which I, I guess I should mark my calendar for, for the middle of April now. Um, what is it like being a marketer for a brand that kind of has this one peak time? Um, like, yeah, how insane does it get, you know, the next few months? Um, <laughs> well, it is a very busy period and we have an incredible marketing and communications team and product teams and, you know, all multidisciplinary teams, um, you know, working war room type situations to be ready on at all times. Um, as you can imagine, what's so interesting about this space is with our online offering, now we, you know, now we're offering experts that can help you 
through your computer screen um, and it can even, even hand over everything to them. They can go do your taxes. So you know, have the faith and an expert who's helped you, not just you doing it yourself, although that's a great option from us too. Um, you know, that, that takes a lot and it, it's, you know, a, you want to be secure and have trust and make it so easy and seamless that it makes you want to say, I love doing my taxes, which, you know, it's very hard to ever want to do your taxes as a human. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's what these teams are gunning for. And they are, you know, working really hard. Um, as we've done such a good job doing this, that frankly, people are waiting closer and closer to April 15th to do the taxes. And so what you see is this shift out of this um, tax filing because they know, oh, I can just jump online and do it. You know, of course, do we want you to be thoughtful and, you know, plan accordingly and everybody's different in how they go about doing their taxes. But that's an interesting trend that we've seen only accelerate because of how easy we've made it and how, you know, how much confidence we've built into the offering you know, I would say, um, kind of circling back to your earlier question, in a, in a world where things have gotten complicated with gig economy and, you know, what's happened is now um, when you get income, um, it's a lower level of income now that you would have to report as a gig worker than it used to be. And that's new to people. And so doing the trading that I talked about earlier, we do want to make sure that people do know we have experts that can help them, certified CPAs. And so, you know, we are known as the do-it-yourself software. So one of the things that we're pushing in this season is to really share that we can actually take it off your hands, do it well for you, and you can have complete trust. You're getting your best uh, refund. And at the end of the day, you know, you can focus on other things that you like to do. So, um, it's, it's a busy period for sure, but one, we are very excited about, you know, serving our customers in an important time. Ah, interesting. Okay. The crypto tax experts, although I, <laughs> I feel like with that kind of cratering towards the end of the year, I, that maybe changes uh, people's enthusiasm for that, or maybe they have losses to report. Who knows? Yeah, so um, those are all the things, though, right? You have questions on. Yeah. How much of your marketing spend is kind of leading up to tax time versus kind of that always on throughout the year? Yeah, I mean, look, we have. So first of all, as a platform, we're on 365 days a year because you've got so many. You know, the Intuit global fintech platform we have is multifaceted and year-long. With taxes, of course, people are have a mindset consideration that tends to be concentrated um, during, you know, this, frankly, this time of the year going into April 15th. But um, we do have all year guidance because, as you know, there's work you're doing during the year where you're earning and you have to be thoughtfully cataloging that. Some people have quarterly installments. And so we do have an ongoing message around taxes with, of course, concentrated periods when people really have to be organized and, and you know, get our support. I will say, you know, as we talked about, um, my, my title is quite um, robust. I have different parts of my job. And part of what I am is the general manager of our ProTax group, which means, you know, we do have software that supports multi-service CPA firms. 
And that is a B2B um, marketing, go-to-market approach. That is all year long because our CPAs are working, you know, in that space or those firms are working with customers year long. They're small business owners or they're enterprise uh, company owners. And so it is, it's more year long than you would think is, is the headline. Got it. So I want to close um, just to get a little bit more on your perspective as a leader. Um, what do you think will be the hallmark of marketing talent in the future? What, what skills do people need and what maybe mindset do they need? Yeah. <laughs> well, if we've learned anything in the last three years and then even, you know, in my 30 plus year career, nothing is uh, more constant than change. This is the most dynamic uh, craft um, among so many crafts that, you know, we interact with every day in our, you know, companies. It is constantly changing, constantly disrupting itself you know, our customers in the marketplace is moving faster than we are. We have to be in front of it. And so marketers and the talent that will win in the future, they have to disrupt themselves. They have to learn. They have to be curious. They have to be constantly learning, have that growth mindset. You, if you stand still and use today's playbook, it will be yesterday's playbook pretty darn quick. So it's the people who sees the, the gray, you know, want to learn about what's in the future and test and learn. Those are the marketers that will own the future. Okay. So people with a growth mindset that are okay with the gray. Um, well spoken to for someone from the Washington area. Um, we're used to the gray skies. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Laura, for coming on the podcast. Yes, the Pacific North roots, uh, Pacific North <laughs> roots grow. Uh, they are. Thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Addictive. Get in touch today to learn more about how Addictive develops custom strategies for your app. Visit www.addictive.com for more. That's www.addictive.com.